and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How have I never mentioned long haul truckers before today? I don't know. Very excited about our podcast today. Just like long haul truckers, open source maintainers are the people who are keeping the world alive with open source, which of course has eaten the world. These are actual quotes from actual serious people who wear ties. What I'm very excited about today is a talk that some of us, including me, although it was remote, gave to a conference. The conference was OswellCon. It was in Austin. The talk was a panel discussion of a how-to guide for contributing to open source as an employee. This is very important because employees, of course, do actually put a lot of work into open source code. I would argue that the majority of code comes out of people who are trying to get paid for it. And so what's really interesting is how do we talk about how to do that better? Like, how do you contribute to open source better? So four other esteemed, excellent colleagues had this amazing talk of which I was invited on as well. And we decided that we should also maybe put it on this podcast because it represents an initiative that is going on to try to basically showcase to companies how to authentically participate in open source. Now, you may have recognize the phrase authentic participation. But wait, Richard, you say to yourself, didn't we have a podcast on that around two years ago with Justin Flory and Dwayne O'Brien? Yes, I believe that may have been the case. If Dwayne wasn't there, he was part of that working group. Justin Flory is, of course, the amazing previous host of Sustained Open Source Design and a Sustained Coordinator, or he was at the time, Justin, wherever you are now, all the love in the world. And that working group released a few documents on how to authentically participate in open source when you're a corporation. And then the work sort of sat for a while, which is good. All work like wine needs to breathe. Now someone has taken that work up, uncorked the bottle, which was breathing anyway, whatever, bad metaphors. And we have this podcast today. So who are these other people I'm talking about? Richard, you are not the only one on this podcast. Also never use that voice again. Yes. So very excited to introduce them. First off, we have Deb Nicholson from PSF, the Python Software Foundation. Deb Nicholson, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm not going to use my Renfair voice. I'm the executive director at the Python Software Foundation. I'm kind of representing the project community side of this conversation. And I'm really excited to talk with folks more about authentic participation and open source. Awesome. As am I, although... You really should use your red voice. I think everyone should. Alyssa Wright from Bloomberg, nay Open Collective, nay Mapbox. I believe Mapbox. Alyssa, how are you doing today? Mapden. Thank you. Can be confused. So yes, hi, hello, welcome. I'm excited to be here, part of the to do OSPO group as well. And I saw the beginnings of this with Justin and really excited to be able to bring like what it means to be unauthentic contributor and participant in like open source communities to company and other organizations. Awesome. Thank you very much. Joseph Pratt from Ivan. How are you doing today, Joseph? Hi, I'm doing pretty fine. And as a fun fact, I think I'm the only European in this call. So basically I'm the one on the other side of the pond, as usually said. I'm engineering manager at Ivan. And basically what we do as a full time in our team is contribute to third party open source projects. So that thing fits really well with what we do every single day. So that's why we believe in this kind of 
guides or movements. And we believe that's the way to go. Thank you so much. Gracias. You are the only European on this call. However, I want to point out that there was another Catalan who is also instrumental to this work in the beginning, which was Javi. Javi is amazing. Javi, wherever you are, I hope you are doing well as well. The other host and guest today is Dwayne O'Brien from Indeed. Dwayne O'Brien, how are you this morning? I am sleepy because it is early in the morning for me, even though it is really not that early in the morning for me. And certainly not that early in the morning for long haul truckers, which are a part of my family that you didn't know that, Richard, when you brought that up. So fascinating metaphor. I'm Dwayne O'Brien. I'm the director of open source at Indeed. I've been working in and around open source sustainability circles for six or seven years at this point. A lot of my work recently has gone into helping companies unlock sustainability funding models from within their own organizations. And I'm super excited to be here today. Awesome. As someone who's hitchhiked 20,000 miles, I also consider long haul truckers to be part of my extended family as well. Dwayne O'Brien, even though you're sleepy, unfortunately, we all voted you to be the person to lay out the context. Now, I've already given you a bit of a head start there by saying a bit about what we're doing. Can you talk further about what we're doing here? Sure. And I'm going to do it by way of doing a little bit of a history lesson on the principles of authentic participation and how we got to where we are with the work today. So it was at the sustain event attached to FOSDEM in 2020, where we had convened several different working groups to talk about different facets of the open source sustainability conversation. And one of those facets was how to provide some guideposts for companies to exhibit good behaviors when engaging with the open source community. That working group started in the morning by articulating what some of the bad behaviors are and continued in the afternoon to articulate what some of the good behaviors are that we wanted to encourage. And these eventually boiled down into a couple of different frameworks and the principles of authentic participation was one of those frameworks. Justin Flory picked up the working group after the state event and brought that work to an initial conclusion. And so the principles were really designed to counteract what were recognized as historic bad behaviors of companies when they show up in open source projects. Richard, as you mentioned in the introduction, we worked on that for a little while. I can't remember exactly what started happening in 2020, but it seems like things got very busy and chaotic for a couple of years now and still are. But it was earlier this year, I believe, Alyssa, that you really sort of relit the fire and wanted to pick this conversation back up, primarily driven by a need in your own organization, but recognize more broadly that this is a valuable piece of guidance to issue companies. And we think about it like the mirror image of a code of conduct. If a code of conduct describes how a project expects all of its participants to behave when they are engaging with the project, the principles of authentic participation were meant to describe how an organization can expect their employees to engage when they are engaging with all open source projects. That's a background of how we got to where we are. Alyssa, I don't know if you want to build on that or say more. I think that is excellent context, well said, very eloquent, can't say it better. And I think it's an exciting project to look at because I think we talk a lot about how to make processes efficient or frictionless, but the sort of participation in open source communities has this like kind of social framework 
piece to it as well that I think is really important that as projects, as OSPOs, as like participants in these communities, we can help like support each other to be our best in that kind of complicated and more nuanced dynamic of what it means to collaborate with others and to collaborate in, again, in authentic and positive ways. So I look forward to being able to articulate that as a collective with other OSPOs, with other organizations collectively as a group to be like, these are principles that we stand for and that we will help to be accountable for as well. Excellent. So from what I hear, Dwayne and Alyssa, we already have these principles from Justin Flory and from that working group. Again, it's not just Justin, but I just really like the guy. Now we're trying to present them to companies as a way of saying, this is what you should do. And then one of the goals actually is have people sign on from a company and say, yes, we will live by these principles. So this is all well and good, but what are they exactly? So just to make it clear to the audience of this podcast, oh, listeners who are still with us, thank you. I think we're going to go through and just list out what we think it means to be an authentic participant in open source by going through these principles in order. Now, you can find them right now on the to-do group GitHub. This is github.com slash org slash to-do group slash project slash three, or you can just go to the show notes and link to them there. And we're going to go through them one by one. So first off, principle one, start early. Dwayne is obviously the earliest person who's awake being on the West Coast. So we're going to go to someone else instead. Joseph, can you talk a bit about what start early means? Yes. So start early basically is whenever somebody wants to start working on open source projects, we need to make sure that it's not just getting the first task that they need to work on and just directly go for it. But we need to understand which kind of communities are we going into. We need to understand what are the written rules and the unwritten rules, which are also really important. And it's about setting the right expectations as well. Like, hey, this is me. I work at company X. I will be here for X amount of time. Maybe we know, maybe we don't. But it's about setting the expectations and not expecting immediate results immediately. Like right away, it takes time. And that's what Mollers, the starts early, tries to encourage and transmit. Excellent. So once you've started early and once you're making sure that you have set your expectations right at the beginning, you need to put the community first. Deb, can you talk a bit about that? Companies obviously have their own agendas when they start working with an open source community, but you can't really expect a collection of volunteers to take on your business agenda as their own. And so you need to kind of get into the community, find out like where you can work with them as opposed to sort of like overlay what you'd like to see happen instead. It can be tempting to look at a community as like, wow, I found a hundred employees we don't have to pay. And that's not the case at all. I'm sorry. That does not exist. So you really have to get to know the community and find out what the goals are. Excellent. Getting to know the community is super important and super difficult, but it starts with listening. Alyssa, can we listen to you talk about that for a second? So start with listening. This is in response to observations that sometimes we jump into an open source project with all the answers and none of the context. And uh, sometimes it might be like human nature, I'm sure, but you know, a, t- a tendency to just like want to fix things and not uh, see or listen to like all the work that has maybe like gone before. And so 
part of this principle is kind of it encourages us to like take a step back to listen to the expertise that is already in the room that has been there that is currently there that has been there and pay attention to a little bit of like where this work where this project where this problem is coming from and so that when we do contribute we contribute and then we do speak we speak with kind of respect and breath of perspective that doesn't mean like one shouldn't feel enthusiasm and participate and ask questions and learn, but to also like recognize that we don't come with all of the answers and without clear mindfulness of like what has happened like in before. So like you mentioned clear mindfulness and clear answers, because those are things that are difficult to do if you are not transparent. So principle number four is transparent motivations. Dwayne, you want to riff a bit on this one? The Transparent motivations principle is is really intended to highlight the need for companies to tell communities and projects the reasoning behind features that they're trying to land or bugs that you're trying to fix. Communities will probably recognize those. But if you're trying to land a new feature and you have a line of business that's dependent on having this feature in the product, or if the community doesn't know how important the feature is to you, you create this tension in the conversation that the maintainers don't know how to navigate. So it's important for companies to be clear when they show up to a project, why they want to make the changes and who is making the changes that they're trying to submit these changes on behalf of themselves as a company and that everyone knows who is involved in the process. Thank you so much. Part of being clear, part of saying this is who we are is that there's always going to be bad actors who will disagree with you. And it's important to figure out when they're in your own company or when they're in the project and interface with your company a lot, how that works and what you do there. So a really important part of this is enforcing respectful behavior, particularly from the company. Joseph, do you want to talk a bit more about that? So this principle goes on the fact that when employees or when people working in corporations or companies, they do have your process. You have your own like this is my task, this is the other one's task, this is my responsibility, this is your responsibility. Those things do not map that nicely to the open source world because there is not such clear roles most of the times. And that might create some confusion. And there is sometimes some expectation from people working on companies towards open source world that, yeah, that should be merged immediately or please get this thing by tomorrow because we need this thing in my company. Those ones are basically not and starting from a respectful position. And that's basically what the principle tries to focus on. Relationships between the company developers and the open source developers should always be based in respect. And we shall not forget that we are all humans and all people. And that's what we need to be treating the other ones as. And not just a random thing on the internet that merges my PRs or anything like that. They are people and we need to treat people as people. Love that. Couldn't agree more. Part of treating people as people is realizing that sometimes interests diverge and sometimes motivations change, business change, jobs change, people change. And so there's another principle that is at the very end, which is end gracefully. And there are many ways to do this. The main thing to be clear about, in my opinion, as a business, when you're engaging in open source is that you're open about what's happening at your company. Hey, this has changed. And that you're mindful of how that's going to interact with people and how that's going to affect their lives and their open source project. And you hopefully give them a bit of a heads up. Doing it on short notice is not great. 
we all know what grace is and there's a million different routines you can have to be graceful. There's a million different ways to dance, but we all recognize a really good dancer when they dance well. And so the goal here is that if you're a company, you're able to finish that dance with aplomb, maybe not with a hands up. I landed it and it was amazing, but maybe just with a simple bow. And so this is something which I think is a really important part of these principles. Now, speaking of graceful, there's a whole nother principle that's kind of important, which isn't really listed here, which is the fun one. We all know companies just don't always agree with open source and that things are really hard and things are always tough. So what's the number one thing, the number zero thing that companies need to do? Anyone want to jump in and say principle number zero? Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Pretty much. That summarizes it. If you can. And that is super hard, especially in very large companies where management decisions are not yours most of the time. But that doesn't mean that you have to be a jerk and transfer those on to open source people, especially if you're in an OSPO. So whatever you can do, try and not be a jerk. Seriously. Thank you. So those are the six, maybe seven principles of how to do open source well in engagement. Dwayne, I think you wanted to show some context about how these couch against say bad participation in the open source. Yeah, I wanted to cast these against some of the behaviors that we were discussing when we landed on these principles so that they can hopefully make a little more sense rather than just hearing about them in the abstract. So one of the bad behaviors we discussed was a representative of an organization showing up with a fully baked feature ready to land in an open source project. And the project has never heard of the person, may never have heard of the company. That is setting up tension between the organization, the company and the project, because there's no opportunity for them to get input on the project. They've never heard of them and it adds overhead to the process. So by starting early, by saying this is what we want to do and this is the direction we want to head or by engaging early with the project well before you show up with a fully baked feature, you can avoid that bad behavior. When you start with listening, the behavior was organizations or representatives showing up in a project and saying, here's what you need to do. And again, no one having heard of them, no one knows who you are. You don't have any context for the project. You're coming in with a loosely baked opinion based on your own context that may not take into consideration the context of all the other adopters. So going into the project and listening for a while and understanding the concerns of the project can help avoid that bad behavior. Putting the community first, understanding that at the end of the day, inherent conflict between where the project is headed and where you really wish the project was headed, that the project has the final say. That if you come into a project and say, our organization needs to go left, I know you all want to go right. We're going to try our hardest to steer left. You're acting in bad faith. You're not acting as an authentic participation in the project. Transparent motivations. I touched on this a little bit. If it's really, really important to you to get a feature landed because you're trying to ship something on top of that feature, just tell the maintainers. Because if they don't have that information, all they know is that you're stressed out and you want to get this feature landed and they don't understand why you're behaving the way you are. So by saying why it's important to you, and in particular, by being clear who you are and who you represent, you give the maintainers the context and the information they need to make good decisions. Enforces respectful behavior is intended to be the don't be a jerk of the principles. If you look at the bad behavior, it is employees or representatives showing up in a project and ignoring the code of conduct. This is a public commitment that we are going to be respectful in the project and honor the code of conduct. And then ends gracefully. 
We all know a number of projects who have woken up in the morning to find suddenly the developers from a large organization are no longer on the project. They pulled them overnight. And that might be two developers or it might be 20 developers. That hurts the project. And giving them some ramp time, telling them you're going to end your investment, doing a graceful handoff rather than abruptly pulling your people off the project. That's the bad behavior we're trying to avoid. So cast against those behaviors, I think the principles start to take a more well-rounded shape. Wayne, I really like that. Thank you so much. So those are the principles we have. We're writing up a longer guide, which we're hoping to publish at some point. What are you supposed to do with this information? How do we take it? How do we internalize it? How do we deal with it? It's great to hear. Okay, cool. Those are seven things I can do better. Excellent. Thanks, mom. But I'm curious, like, what can we do to make this something that companies actually adopt? So this is meant to be the dual of the contributor covenant. We know that projects use the contributor covenant to basically enforce some behavior on the communities to make sure that the right things are happening in the community and no bad actors are in that. So what we aspire to do with this set of principles is to do exactly the same thing, but for the companies. The company should pledge on this covenant to say, we certify that all our employees will fulfill and will follow those principles. And that's how they will behave when approaching open source projects. We need to offer, obviously, mechanisms to report those things back and to say, hey, that was probably an infringement of one of the principles. And we need to also share what are the consequences of those principles being not followed. And this is one of the next steps we want to do. So first, of of course, as you mentioned, is finish the guide itself, but then is create that wrapper around, which will be the company covenant of the authentic participation. I was going to add that I think the other piece to that too is that when companies approach projects, making that as easy as possible to find things like the code of conduct, to find like the project roadmap, to figure out who's involved in which parts of the project so that if someone's like, oh, I really want to get involved on like CPython or something, it's like, oh, that's where this repository is. And here are the different mechanisms that that community uses to have conversations about what's on the roadmap and what's not and what people are working on. So making it really easy as opposed to like, I don't know, try and be nice to us. We hit everything. That doesn't work. So I think there's that other piece of making stuff really discoverable. So couched in the whole conversation is this idea of accountability. How can we hold organizations accountable for bad behavior when it happens? And before we can do that, we have to articulate what companies intend to do, what they say they're going to do. Because uh, until there's been some kind of commitment for how you're going to behave, it's very difficult to hold people accountable for the behavior or organizations. Organizations are not people, but the same principle still applies. So the idea is to Articulate a set of principles that companies can publicly commit to so that when they're not honoring those principles, we can hold them accountable either directly by, by engaging with them directly or hold them accountable in the public space. And I put a link into one of the founding framework for the principles itself. This is the intention of what the principles are. And so to carry a little bit of what I heard Dwayne at least speak about is that we want to give language to what we think are principles that companies should work with and collaborate with open source projects. This will allow us to like have a, I'll come away with a deeper understanding of what it means to participate in open source and then create new knowledge that we can like reference against and hold ourselves like accountable to. I think it's a really interesting and open question that we like are 
working amongst ourselves and hopefully with listeners and with others about how to hold ourselves accountable to these principles in ways that will work for projects and for organizations. But we're starting with trying to articulate and trying to support our own employees about how we expect to show up in these projects. Because this is also, I think, a way to support the people that we partners with in our internal organizations. It's like how to support their best behavior and how can they be really good open source participants? Because what I have observed is that most people come with good intention to and want very much so to be like good participants in open source and that it's not always like an easy formula or and there's not necessarily some support. And so we all learn from trial and error. And I think that part of like the role of an OSPO within a company, within like other organizations with open source leaders, like in the same spaces that they can help make kind of the art form of participating in open source, like a little bit easier for people that are new to it. And I think that on another side to this, I think that allows for more varied and diversified group of people to participate in open source as well. I like this. What's interesting to me is that this kind of comes off a tiny bit like the banner in Office Space saying, is this good for the company? Questions you should ask yourself before contributing in open source. Is this good for the open source projects to whom I am contributing? And I don't mean to make it sound incredibly dull in 1990s, but it is a good question about how we interact and how we think about things and how we think about our friends, because ultimately that's who we're here for. We interact with people on a day-to-day basis because either A, we want to get paid or B, because we like the people we interact with and they're important to us. So it's important to think about that. There have been other events in the past, someone pointed out to me in the chat, where we have tried to have, say, commitments or cooperation commitments that people have signed up for. Deb, you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, we sort of brought up the GPL cooperation commitment. And I don't actually see working with the community's goals with regards to licensing as separate from working with the community's goals with regards to like its technical roadmap. If you come into a community and they are really like, we're all about Apache and you keep trying to patch stuff in with a different license that's not compatible, I see that as kind of hostile. It's like salt in somebody else's soup after they already put it on the table. Nobody wants that. You just can't come in and say that. I think sometimes if you're coming from like the technologist perspective, you might see the licensing as a secondary add-on. And honestly, this is not the way it works in open source. It's a community of technologists and part of our governance and our relationship with the community is defined by the licenses that we choose. And trying to redefine that from the outside, like five minutes after you showed up is a big no-no. So yeah, I think it's important for companies to be honest about their intentions. And if that intention includes trying to quietly talk everybody into relicensing the whole code base, then go ahead and tell people that upfront and save everyone a lot of time because you probably need to try somewhere else. I like that. Hey, this is cool, but if you can't do that, go somewhere else. More of that in open source, please. So this is our idea, and we're working on ways of keeping this work alive. Thank you, Alyssa, for relighting the flame and getting us all to Austin to talk about this work. We're probably going to be talking more about this at future conferences as well. But there's also a few other things which we need. So we need to have clear documents and ways where you could pitch this up to higher management to get sign off from the company on signing off on this sort of, say, commitment. We need to talk about ways to enforce this within your company or ways to guide it in a non 
shaming Eve type way, but a must more of like, hey, here's how I think we should work. Do you agree? Isn't that great? Excellent. And we need to also maybe delineate these resources out. So if you're interested, that would be great. So it's nice that we're working on GitHub now, which is really collaborative, any kind of like repo like that. But I think the eventual goal would be to have something like the Creative Commons licensing explainer that's color-coded, lots of little TLDRs for like people that are just like, I just want the gloss. And then like you can click in and get the details. It seems like if somebody's going to share something with their boss who might be really, really busy, depending on your boss, you want something like, here's the top level, really simple to understand. Here's more detail on any piece that you want and have it be designed really nicely and not like GitHub's a lot of things, but a lovely graphical user interface for explaining new concepts isn't really one of them. If only we worked in an industry where we knew people who could make websites. Darn, darn. So anyway, that's an open call. Dwayne? I just want to highlight that I think it's really important to have that kind of guide for more than just explaining it to your boss. Because if you work in an organization of any size, it's inevitable that somebody is going to mess up in the community in some way or do something that flies counter to these principles. And the first that you will hear of it is when someone from the community comes to you and said, hey, you have these principles and this person over here is behaving like this. And you can and should always start from the assumption that they've made a good faith error, right? Like, like they didn't understand something. They didn't understand the principles. They didn't understand the impact of their behavior. And you're going to need to explain it to them and why it's important. So having a clear guide that says, here's the principle. Here's why the principle is here. Here's the impact of these kinds of behaviors. And here's what we're trying to avoid. It's helpful for more than just your boss, helping to bring people around to a common understanding of how to behave authentically in the open source community. That's the end goal. I would even tag on that and say that we have the opportunity to change the way that people think about work and to think about the way that they collaborate and to broaden the spectrum of who they collaborate with and think about their job, the thing they spend all day doing as something that they're doing in cooperation with the wider world, as opposed to like constantly in competition. And that mind shift is really big. It can be a really tough one. And I think that that is also part of what we're trying to convey here is like, hey, you can let go a little of the constant competition mindset and maybe think about, could we make the world a little bit of a nicer place with software? There is one thing that I usually say is that so companies that work on open source might be competitors on that space. But when we work on open source, we are not competitors, we are colleagues. I love it all. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out yeah. how to like, how to frame it as like, well, of course, this is on this podcast as sustain. And I was trying to say that like in a non-jokey kind of way, but <laughs> we are talking about, you know, software sustainability because ultimately software doesn't matter if the people who are running it don't have sustainable practices for themselves and for the interests of their communities that they're in. And so this is all about basically how do we build a better world where we work better on the things that we're working on together. So very exciting work. I'm really happy to see it go. For next actions, just get in touch. We are keen to work with other people on this. We're keen to collaborate. We're keen to see how we can put this out into the world. As you know, we've already done a lot of work. You know, this isn't just a, hey, wouldn't it be cool that we had authentic principles like no this is further along than that so if you want to get involved with a project that is actively moving reach out 
All of our information is publicly available. You could also email podcast at org, and that will just go directly to me and all the other hosts and we can take it from there. Alyssa and I are both on that group. Really excited to see what comes out of this in the future. Do any of the four of you have any particular call-outs or CTAs that you want to add here? Our intent is to finalize the articulation of each of the principles by the end of the summer and put it out for kind of community review and feedback in the beginning of the fall. At any point, we'd really love for more people to like be involved in the conversation, whether that's in dialogue and such formats like here or on the GitHub repository, actually like helping us like draft these principles together. And then for OsmoCon Europe, that will be another opportunity for us to be able to speak about this work and a milestone that we're working against. And that is in mid-fall. I was going to say, I think it also makes sense to think about how we might give people a safe space to ask questions about this. So Dwayne has already drawn like the licensing parallel and there is like a private group of lawyers that work on open source that have conversations where they're like, hey, help me not screw this up or my company wants to do this, but I think we really shouldn't be and we should be doing that in a private space where they can get support on how to navigate that better. And I think that in this kind of a shift of like thinking, it might behoove us to think about giving companies and employees a space to come in and be like, we have option A and we have option B. My boss really wants option A, but I really think we should be doing option B. Does anyone know how to help me make that case? And I think that has to be a private space. Totally. For now, we do have to wrap up. So listeners, we do hope you get involved. Thank you so much for listening and for letting us share with you these principles that we're all really excited to have worked on. I said we, I was very minimal in this process, but I'm just really happy to be able to share it as it is. And also the people who aren't on this podcast who've also helped out. Again, Javi, Izquierdo, Justin W. Flory, all of you are amazing people. And the rest of the people who are also part of that group. With that having been said, we have a tradition on this podcast of having a section at the end called Spotlight. Spotlight is where we point out people, projects, things, dogs, which were really wonderful and helped us in our career or in our lives. And we just feel like should have some more light on them. And this is just a separate part of the podcast that's super fun. So with that having been said and on the spot, Deb, what is your spotlight today? I wasn't expecting that and I'm looking right at Dwayne, but I recommend him all the time. Sorry if they talk to him all the time, but like companies are like, how do I do open source? And I'm like, you should probably make friends with Dwayne. Awesome. Dwayne O'Brien is definitely someone who always needs more spotlights on him because he is a vampire. Dwayne, what is your spotlight today? Just taking a second to regain my composure, Deb. That was incredibly kind. Thank you. All right. So for my spotlight, I have two things. The last time I was on this show, I gushed about a book called A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers that I had read and loved and deeply connected with. She has written a second book in the same series called A Prayer for the Crown Shy. It came out on July 12th. I have not read it yet because I am saving it to savor this weekend while I am camping. If you do not want a recommendation and a spotlight on a book I have not even read, but I am vociferously recommending, then my recommendation is to take 30 minutes today and go sit outside somewhere where people are having fun and just watch people having fun because that will change your day. I second that one. Alyssa, spotlight. Yeah, I got one that could change a day. I would like to spotlight cold showers and AC. 
It's particularly hot here at the moment in New York City. I tried to do this podcast without the AC on. It didn't work out. So I'm very thankful. I have a lot of gratitude for all the cold air and cold spaces that I can find at the moment at home. So I'll pass the spotlight over to Joseph. So my one might be slightly cheesy, but it's basically all of you because actually it was really cool to be on one of the to-do touchpoint meetings, hear about your concerns of this, about, yeah, that's something we should have. And then like, yes, we should do something like that. And then I decided to jump and say, let's go and work with those people I never worked before. And it's great. So I would put on the spotlight, just do that. Work with people you never knew before. It's fun. It's great. And you grow a lot. Thank you, Joseph. That is kind as well. I want to point out for Alyssa Wright's spotlight that to make that a person, let's just highlight the New York City Water Board. There are people who actually make sure that water goes to New York City. So thank you very much for that. My spotlight today is going to be a bit different. I'm going to spotlight Capital Grounds. Capital Grounds is a cafe in downtown Montpelier. It is the only cafe that is open before 8 a.m. because Bohemian doesn't open that early. And so on the mornings when I wake up and want to go for a walk and just need a coffee fast, Huge shout out to Capital Grounds and in particular to the really amazing Irish barista there. Dude, you are awesome. I always enjoy having you be like a breath of fresh air to me. Hey, it's a crack buddy. It's like the best part of my day. So thank you very much for that Capital Grounds man. I should learn your name at some point. I know you know mine, but thank you. And with that, thank you everyone for being on this podcast. Listeners, if you like this, please like us on Apple or Spotify as well. If you have any thoughts, podcast at sustainoss.org. We'll get to the host of this podcast, which includes me and Alyssa. So feel free to complain about either of us to the other there publicly where the other person can read it. If you have any ideas for suggestions or who should be on this podcast, please also let us know. If you want to talk in depth about more things, you can always go to discourse. That's sustainoss.org. Basically to talk about like sustainability and open source and all things like that. Or you can be all of us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Dwayne O'Brien. That's O'Brien with an E. Alyssa P. Wright. That's right with a W at the beginning of the right, not at the end. Bacon and Coconut for Deb Nicholson. And J.L. Pratt, P-R-A-T for Joseph. I am, of course, Rich Lit, two T's on Twitter. And it has been an absolute pleasure to host this yet another sustained podcast on how to be a better person. So thank you all for coming. <laughs>